the book of Joshua, and if you want to um, turn to the chapter that most of the bits and pieces I will be talking about come from, it's Josh- Joshua chapter 2. I can't give you the number, I'm afraid, of the Jewish Bible, um, but it's Joshua chapter 2. Um, in the book of Joshua, uh, we are introduced um, to actually one of the most amazing and thought-provoking women of the Old Testament, Rahab the prostitute. And she does actually earn unique praise for her faith. Not only that, but she earns a place in the lineage lineage of Christ. Certainly, the faith this woman revealed demonstrates the potential that, in fact, we all have. And Rahab's story also reminds us not to judge. After all, I mean, how many of us would expect a great act of faith from a prostitute? How many of us would actually go out of her way to avoid her, to cross the road, to not go anywhere near her house and not allow any part of our life to be tainted with hers? And yet God blessed this woman uh, by putting her in the lineage of Christ. She's one of Christ's ancestors, as we read in Matthew. And Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse. In that genealogy, she is uh, part of that. And actually, quite interesting, it's a bit of an aside this, but as an aside, um, in that, there are, four other, there are four women in total. There's, um, there's Tamar, who bore Perez, there's Rahab, who bore Ruth, or Boaz, there's Ruth, who bore Obed, and there's Bathsheba, who bore Solomon. And all four of those women, all part of Christ's ancestors, if you like, are united by the fact that their biblical stories involve some degree of sexual impropriety. Tamar played the harlot to gain a son with Judah. Rahab, of course, was a prostitute. Ruth was a central plan player in a plan to try and seduce Boaz. Bathsheba was effectively commanded by David to be first his mistress and then his wife. It's not exactly the lineup, is it, that we would expect in our Lord's ancestors. So I think one thing we can certainly say from that is that the way God chooses to bestow his blessings uh, can certainly manifest themselves in surprising ways. Um, and in the story of Boaz, of Rahab, there are plenty of examples of those surprising ways. So let's go through the story and let's pick out some, some, some bits in there which are of interest to us. A story starts, it's Joshua uh, 2, verse 1. And we read, Then Joshua, son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and they entered the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and spent the night there. Now if we pause at the start of her story to consider her life, what would we deduce, I wonder? Obviously she was a prostitute, she lived in Jericho and was visited by soldiers. But let's actually try and place ourselves uh, in Rahab's position. Imagine the realities of her life in those days. Her home would be minimal. Uh, a small, cramped area. A place of outcasts. This isn't a woman dressed in her Sunday best, but dressed for a decadent Saturday night. 
her society would have rejected her. Her career would have been exposed, would have exposed her to dirty, possibly diseased men who sought to use her for one purpose only. So God really does move in mysterious ways. Rahab, arguably the lowest of the low in, that, in the society of her day, is part of the lineage of Christ. And we can assume that's not a mistake. Why did God choose Rahab? We actually don't know. And there are other questions which are difficult to answer. Why did those men go to a prostitute's house when they were supposed to be viewing the land? What exactly could they spy on there? The Bible doesn't indicate there were any, other, any others in the house. So eavesdropping on other potential sources of information wasn't a factor. It's tempting, of course, to think that uh, they visited her for the obvious reason. There are a couple of battle-hardened soldiers. But it's not really for us to speculate. Whatever their nature or their encounter with Rahab, it was obviously instrumental to bringing her to the Lord. And I would not for one moment believe that God condones a house of prostitution. Um, but it does t- say this, that in his infinite mercy, he is able to interweave his plan with the free and often sinful will of, of us and make things work for good. And I think that's quite, a, quite an important point. Our own lives are probably not as colourful as Rahab's or anything like as risky. But there are nevertheless many things which happen to us which, if part of God's plan, also take some explaining just as events in Rahab's life take some explaining. Explaining we can't actually do. And often things that happen to us require explaining, and we don't have an explanation. But we would like one, but there isn't any. Maybe it shows us that... um, Sorry. Maybe this story actually simply reminds us that when things happen to us uh, which don't seem to be part of God, and they're normally things we don't like, that God's ways are not our ways. And his plans aren't always structured as our own plans would be. But they do work for good, and they do get the results he wants. Maybe it shows us that we should not get too hung up about things we don't understand. This account shows us God does things in ways we will never understand. Or, at a human level, and I do stress at a human level, maybe in a way we wouldn't actually approve of. Anyway, let's carry on with the story. Following, uh, says Joshua, verses 2 to 7. The king of Jericho was told, some Israelites have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab. Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come only to search out the whole land. But the woman, women took the two men and hid them, defying the orders of the king of Jericho. And then she said, True, the men came to me, and I did not know where they came from. And when it was time to close the gate at dark, the men went out. Where the men went, I don't know. Pursue them quickly, for they have, you can overtake them. She had, however, brought them up to the roof, and hidden them with stalks of flax. 
that she had laid out on the roof. So she'd hidden the spies but told the king they'd gone away. And so as we delve into Rahab's story further, God's plan becomes even more mysterious. And dare I say it, even less godlike. It now involves betrayal and lies. But first, a little interesting aside. And it's an example of the kind of detail which, if you look between the lines in a lot of these Bible stories, is there. Scholars tell us that the time that all this happened was the time of the harvest of the barley. Barley harvest. Um, and we also read that Rahab covered the, sky, the spies with bundles of flax. Flax actually ripens at the same time as barley. And it's just a little bit of for those who might think, well, it's only a Bible story, so on and so forth, if it is just a story, and if it's a myth, then someone's gone, a lot to, gone to a lot of trouble to make a lot of things tie up. Because flax and barley ripen at the same time. Anyway, that's a little, little aside. It's one of those little things which kind of interests me, anyway. So, back to the story. Rahab betrayed her own people. The Israelites were seeking to take Jericho, and Rahab had the opportunity to stop them or impede them. But she didn't. Rahab found herself in a position which we like to think doesn't happen. The need to decide between God's plan and the plans of earthly authority. She was still under the authority, for example, uh, don't forget, of the king of Jericho. And not only did she betray her people, in order to protect the spies, she had to lie. Not a little white lie, a great big whopper of a lie. She claimed she didn't know where the men had come from. She claimed... She left before the city gate was closed to dark, or they'd left before the city gate was closed. She suggested they could not be far away, so go after them and catch them. Now many of us, that we find ourselves often having to decide between two things, um, neither of which are actually quite right, but for whatever reason, we actually have to do one of them. A decision we'd rather try and avoid making, but we can't. So when in that unenviable position, and it is an unenviable position, it might be helpful to remember Rahab's dilemma, because she was in that, and she was mightily blessed by God. What was her overriding concern in how best to act? Was it to do God's will? Well, maybe. Was it self-preservation, um, because she firmly believed that the forces of the Lord would win, and this was her only chance of survival? Possibly. Or was it the belief that the Lord could lift her out of the misery uh, of her current life and give her a life of hope and peace? Also, possibly, all those would have been factors. It was probably actually a combination of all three that decided her to cover up for the spies. And these are probably not that far from our own motivations. It's not the main driver in accepting Christ as our saviour, the fear of being on the losing side when the forces of the Lord prevail, which would mean eternal separation from the Lord if we're not on his side. And is it also not the realisation that life with God is a lot better than life without God? So that's all that kind of thing would have been going through Rahab's mind when she decided to do what she did. So, next part of the story, Joshua 8-11. to Before they went to sleep, she came to them on the roof came to the men on the roof, the ones she was hiding, and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that dread of you has fallen on us, 
and that all the inhabitants of the land melt in fear of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites that were beyond the Jordan, to Sion and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no courage left in any of us because of you. The Lord your God is indeed God in heaven above and on earth below. Rahab had heard about what God had done. And she believed. Too many times we hear what the Lord has done and refuse to believe. Or worse, we believe but refuse to act on that belief. Rahab believed and acted, even though acting, what she did, put her life at risk. I mean, we, don't, we often talk, don't we, of stepping out in faith. But many times that step is limited because the drop is actually quite small if things go wrong. An abyss awaited Rahab with her first step. The life of a traitor would be short indeed, especially the life of a treacherous harlot. A bit more of Joshua. Now then, since I have dealt kindly with you, swear to me by the Lord that you, that you in turn will deal kindly with my family. Give me a sign of good faith that you will spare my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. Rahab has faith not only in what God has done and can do, but faith in what he will do, will do. She has faith that he will spare her family. Yet if we think about Rahab's life, her faith shines even brighter. She is an outcast. She's a prostitute. She's been abandoned by society. And we assume also by her family, who were around and could have looked after her. We know they're around because she saves them. And yet she trusts that the Lord will not reject her, saving her and those dear to her. But even so, she must take steps to ensure this happens. As this conversation between Rahab and the soldiers shows, the men said to her, our life for yours. If you do not tell this business of ours, then we will deal kindly and faithfully with you when the Lord gives us the land. In other words, if you don't split on us, we'll save you. And the men also said to Rahab, we will be released from this oath that you have made us swear to you if we invade the land and you do not tie this crimson cord in the window through which you let us down. And you do not gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers and all your family. So they're saying, if you want us to help you, you've got to help us. You've got to put the cord up to show that you're still with us and you've got to have the family gathered ready to go. She said, according to your words, so be it. She sent them away and they departed and then she tied the crimson cord in the window. By this point, Rahab had already expressed faith. She acknowledged God and that God could act in her life. But there's more to be done. Faith isn't alone isn't good enough. Faith must produce action. As the book of James tells us, faith without works is dead. The two spies explained to Rahab that she must act. She must not betray them and she must put the scarlet cord in the window. Failure to act, despite her claim of faith, will result in her destruction and so she ties the cord and awaits the results. And a bit more of Joshua. The city and all that is in it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab, the prostitute, and all who are with her in her house shall live because she hid the messengers we sent. Rahab's faith and action 
proved to save, proved to save not only herself, but her entire family. We have the same opportunity today in many forms. Stepping out in faith can never be easy. If it was, then it wouldn't be in faith, would it? But by walking in faith, we open the door for the Holy Spirit to work not only in our lives, but in the lives of loved ones. Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, go into the prostitute's house and bring the woman out of it and all who belong to her, as you swore to her. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought Rahab out, along with her father, her mother, her brothers, and all who belonged to her. They brought out all her kindred, and they set them outside the camp of Israel. They burned down the city and everything in it, only silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the Lord. But Rahab the prostitute, with her family, and all who belonged to her, Joshua spared. Her family has lived in Israel ever since, for she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. So if we draw this, the various threads of this story uh, about Rahab together, draw them to some kind of conclusion, what can we learn? In many ways, it is a very, very complex story. On the one hand, Rahab was a traitor to her own people, harbouring spies in return for her own safety. But on the other hand, she was incredibly brave. For to have been caught would have certainly resulted in a probably very agonising death. She was clearly capable of deception and used it in the Lord's service. How do we reconcile that? She is quite clearly someone who weighed things very carefully. Were Joshua and his troops going to be victorious? I don't know, are they? I hope they are, because I'll throw my lot in with them. Or would they be routed? Was the God of Israel the true God who, could, who I could believe in? and in whose hands I can place my life. These are huge questions when your life is in the balance, which hers was. For me, the overriding thing which stands out in this story is how difficult it is to predict how God will work. Who else would trust a prostitute to be a central player in the invasion of Jericho? It just goes to show that the Lord is no respecter of social status, and welcomes everybody into his kingdom. Whereas we might avoid contact with the down and outs of this world, God is quite different. So is it, I wonder, as simple as that? God uses who he will, and people just get absorbed into his plan as the need arises. Well, there's a complication. And the complication is that people actually also have free will. Rahab, although part of God's plan, also acted out of her own free will. And this, of course, is one of the great mysteries of the Bible. God's plans don't fail, but rely on people like you and me, which are, who are free agents. Very difficult to reconcile that. How kind of difficult to reconcile? Rahab realised that she was dealing with agents when those two spies came. She was dealing with agents of the true God. She had heard about what the Lord had done for his people. She had weighed the evidence and decided to follow him. And the Lord saw into her heart and accepted her as one of her own. Her history, one of his own, her history, her history did not matter. What mattered was where she stood with God. Probably at the moment she agreed to help the spies and put her life on the, loan, on, on the line. That was when she made that big decision. What mattered was not the past, but her future with the Lord in her life. Her family was saved 
as a result of her courageous action. And she was saved for eternity because of her faith in God. Now what a counter-argument to those, a counter-argument to those who say Christians think they are an elite. There's no elitism here. What a counter-argument to those who feel you have to earn your place in God's kingdom. Rahab may have been brave, but she was a prostitute and certainly wouldn't have got into the Lord's kingdom through virtue. And what a counter-argument to those who feel they simply aren't good enough to be saved. By human standards, by human standards, Rahab certainly wasn't good enough. But our criteria is not God's. The Bible tells us very clearly that all are welcome into his kingdom. As we read in Revelation, those whom I love I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him whoever comes, or to Rahab, to her whoever comes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Rahab answered the knock and was saved. If you are here today, then the Lord is knocking on your door, otherwise why else are you here? However, however you rate yourself, you are good enough. But what makes you good enough? What makes you good enough? As we have shown, God's ways are not our ways. God's way is that sin must be punished. Not necessarily our ways today. And the punishment is death. But God's way is also one of love and compassion. And to save us from that punishment, he sent his only son to take that punishment in our place. His ways are not our ways. Christ died on the cross for our sins and for those of Rahab. Even though Rahab didn't know about Jesus. His sacrifice was for all time, past and present. Her faith was real and the Lord saw into her heart and saved her. But we do know about Jesus. So we can come to him in repentance and faith and ask him to be our saviour. This sounds very mechanistic, doesn't it, in a way. But in many ways, it, it is similar to Rahab. The Lord will examine our hearts just as he examined Rahab's. And if we have genuinely repented and truly accepted Jesus as our saviour, he will accept us into his kingdom. And we will know him for all eternity. Amen.